3 John. Uh, so I'll wait for you a second to turn there. But I'm going to read from Psalm chapter 3. And I didn't ask our audio video guys to put it up there because I wanted you to just hear it. And so as I read from Psalm chapter 3, as you turn to 3 John, I'm going to read from Psalm chapter 3. And I want you to kind of just hear it and let the Word of God kind of just resonate on your heart to give you kind of a perspective. We're going to talk about um, some, I think, difficult things today, some, some things that um, the church in America may have some difficulty with. And so I want to begin this whole kind of looking at maybe problems, things like that, by starting really with the solution, which is God. And so just kind of as we read this, meditate on this. And so the difference of Eastern religion, meditation, emptying the mind, Christianity meditation is filling our mind with the Word and our heart with the Word of God. So Psalm chapter 3, if you'll just listen along with me, it says, this is a Psalm of David, it says, Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him from God. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike down all my enemies on their cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing, may your blessing be on your people. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that as we go through what I think is probably a little uncomfortable topic, God, I pray that we hear that you are our source of help and strength and purpose and power, and that as we go through this, we just desire to give you all glory. So God, prepare our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I began with that because as we go through Third John, we're going to look at something that uh, we're going to really look at two people. I'll uh, discuss them in a second. But, but I just believe, or it's felt to me lately, and maybe you feel this way too, that the church in America is on decline. I, I don't know if you feel like that, but it feels to me like the church in America is on decline. So I'll give you just some examples. We are quite clearly no longer a Christian culture. Like just quite clearly. I don't even think I need to enumerate that for you. I think you know for yourself that we are quite clearly no longer a Christian culture. There, there are all sorts of things in society putting pressure on churches, but churches themselves statistically have less people in them since COVID. There are less salvations, less baptisms, and so I am the young adults pastor, but that's, that's my ministry. That's usually how I introduce myself. But my additional duty is the personnel for the church, so the pastor over personnel. And so, uh, as you all know, we have Bryce McGuire, our student pastor. He's going to be uh, leaving, going to plant a, plant a church. We're just really excited for him. Um, he'll, he'll have a reception out in the uh, hallway or in the FBA office just out that door afterward. Hope you go by and bless them. But for me as the personnel guy, that means I need to work on looking for a new student pastor. And I'll just tell you this, you, if you're uh, familiar with the, the industry world at all, you know that there's a labor shortage. There's difficulty getting enough people into jobs. The church is no exception to that. In fact, if you were to go to spc.net, which is the Southern Baptist Convention uh, website, there's a place there for job searches. And if you go, they have this map that pops up with all these different red pins. If you look, there are hundreds, if not thousands 
of job openings at churches across America. In fact, it is a known thing in church world that there is currently a shortage of youth pastors. Now, I don't bring all this up to you to just kind of discourage you, but I think it's foolish to ignore that there is a problem. It feels like the church is declining in America. So I want to present this kind of question to you that I want it to be your filter and kind of the thesis of this as we go through Third John. So here's the question. What needs to be done for the sake of the name of Jesus to make him known? I'm going to read that to you again. What needs to be done for the sake of the name of Jesus to make him known? You see, as we feel like the church is in decline, I just read to you from Psalm chapter 3 that, that God is powerful, mighty. He's the one who can protect us. There's no enemy that can assail him. God's not the problem. If the church in America is on decline, God's not the problem. In fact, if you even think of his message, the message isn't the problem. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ saves every bit as much today as it ever has. The message is not the problem. Maybe, maybe we'll point to circumstances. We say, yeah, but there's circumstances that are making it where the Christian church just can't advance, the message of Christ can't advance. I just tell you, there's always been problems. There's always been circumstances. In fact, there was at one time an environment and a culture and a government so difficult for the cause of Christ that it put him to death. The circumstances aren't the problem. And so what I want to do today is I want to begin with the heart of us. So I want to start in 3 John. So if you look at your Bible, 3 John, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 really quick. It says, The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health, just as your whole life is going well. So now, as I read this, of course, I noticed that John, the elder, is writing to his friend Gaius. I'm going to talk about him in a second. But the thing that stood, up to, stood out to me is kind of this hopeful prayer. You catch that in verse 2? It's like a hopeful prayer. Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health, just as your whole life is going well. And I just got to thinking, what would it take for someone to write that about a church, and I'll just say specifically this church, for, for someone to write, because that's a very optimistic view. You wouldn't write that kind of thing to a person if you're like, oh, there's no way. I know how they live. I know they're not going to be in good health and all those things. I, I know that. What would it take for someone to write that about a church? Look at those words again. They're prospering in every way, in good health, just as your whole life is going well. So we might think, I think the typical Christian might answer, man, we would just be doing well if maybe the pastor were just a visionary or the worship service, if, if we just had the right worship service or maybe the kids program uh, just dynamic or the student ministry just dynamic or um, I'll, I'll tell you kind of what stuck me to this church years ago, way back in 2005, I joined a life group, and man, I just, I just commend that to you. You should join life groups. Uh, join a life group and plug in, get to know people. But that's really what stuck me to this church. When I came here, 2005, I think, is when I started attending, but that's when I certainly plugged into a life group. And there are people in this church today that were in that original life group, and then others that have moved on, military moved them away, that I still consider to this day best friends, uh, lifelong friendships, out of that. So we would say a lot of things, a lot of things good about this church, a lot of good things about a lot of churches, but, but if we're starting to get nitpicky and we just say, hey, how can we make a church thrive? What do we need? What do we need to, to stop this decline? We might point to those things. 
And so when I immediately came up with those answers, it got me thinking, that's probably the wrong question. Instead of, what would it take in a church? What if I asked it a different way? What if I asked what kind of people it would take to have a church that prospered, was in good health, and the whole direction was going well? Not just the church, but what kind of people filling the church would it take to have that kind of statement be able to be said about us and to be true. So we're going to begin uh, looking at this, and I want to draw your attention again to two people. So look at 3 John chapter one or verse 1. It says, the elder to my dear friend Gaius. That's one guy. Now look at verse 9. We're not going to cover verse 9 until J- July 17th, but this is a teaser. That way you'll come on July 17th. It says, I wrote something to the church, but diatrephus. And then it says all sorts of things about him. There are two individuals in here ever immortalized in Scripture because the Apostle John decided to write something about them. Let me tell you, the account of them is entirely different. What he says about Gaius is just some phenomenal stuff that we ought to learn from, we ought to try to make true of us. What he says about Diotrephus ought to be a warning to us. It ought to be a caution. Because sometimes we think we know how to do church right, and we may not. And so we're going to look at this. Let's go ahead and look at 3 John and look at verse 3 with me. So it starts off by saying, For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity and the truth. And I'll just pause there. I like to point out the first word of this sentence. I'm going to see if my young adults in the, the audience are awake. So what is the first word in verse 3? What's the, what's the Greek word for it? And what does it mean? All right, y'all did great. Good job. So I point this word out to them. It seems like a really silly word to point out, the word for. But usually when it's at the, the beginning of a sentence or the beginning of a clause in Scripture, it's oftentimes the word gar. And it assigns a reason to what was just said. So follow this with me. Look at verse 2 again. He says, Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health just as your whole life is going well for... He assigns, he's getting ready to assign a reason. He says, I'm praying for you and I'm praying all these things and I'm saying that because of what I'm about to say about you. So look at verse 3 again. I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth. And I'll just pause there. Truth. Church, we've got to be about truth. Truth is a real thing. It's God's thing. Doctrine matters. Belief matters. When we think of the Christian church feeling like it's on a decline, oftentimes that's because there are pressures from society to say, you have to look away that is not Christ-like, and sometimes we fold. I am, I am glad beyond belief to be in a church that has Scripture as not just the center of the things that we believe, but also the authority over our lives because it tells us what God wants from us and tells us how to know God better. Truth matters. Doctrine matters. But there's a problem. Because sometimes we know truth, and sometimes we don't always practice it. Sometimes we think we know what we're doing, and we don't always. So look what the rest of these verses say. Look at verse 3. It says, For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear this, to hear that my children are walking in truth in truth. You see, sometimes we know truth, but sometimes we don't know how to apply it, or, or we don't know 
we don't see ourselves necessarily. Sometimes we think we're good at something that we're not. It was just uh, yesterday, I was at a swim pool party. My middle child uh, turned 11, and so I was at a swim pool party and got attacked by kids all day. Um, but the day started like this. The, the swim pool party started like this. My youngest uh, nephew was sitting in his car seat, so he, he's a little baby, and I like walk by, and it's no secret to people who know me that I'm not always the best with babies. Like, give me a kid who is like two years old and they can talk and I can like reason with them and then I'm in my comfort zone. But when they're babies, I'm not always the best. So I'm walking by my nephew and he's like giving me the biggest smile that I've ever seen. He's like, like so excited to see me. And there's something about a baby smiling at you that you feel like they're making an evaluation of your soul that you're like, they're looking at me and they're seeing that I'm, I'm all right. And so I felt like that in that moment. So of course it draws you in. He's like, smiling at me. So I'm, I'm creeping closer to my nephew, and he's just still happy. I'm like, all right, I can take, it's like approaching a wild animal to me. And so I just inch ever closer, and so I get a little closer, a little closer. He's still just smiling. So then I got kind of brave. And i just tell you this, my uh, sister-in-law had just sat down to lunch, and she was hoping to eat lunch in quiet. And so I probably should have left her baby alone, but I did not. And so I get a little brave, and he's smiling at me so much, like, Clearly, he wants me to play with him. Like, obviously, that's what he wants. And so I just, like, tickle his foot a little bit. And he just, like, like shocked. Like, whoa, this big hairy thing is real. And he just touched me, and I'm shocked. And so he's all sorts of nervous now. And then if you've ever been in a situation where you're, like, maybe seeing someone mock someone, like, pretending to be a baby, they stick their lip out, and they, like, like start huffing and puffing and stuff. I kid you not, it was like he was trying to hurt me. He was like, like hurt my heart because he gave like the most visual depiction of sad and like, like I injured him. I just tickled your foot, man. And so, so I, he starts crying and stuff and I'm like, okay, I got to fix this. My sister-in-law just sat down for lunch. She's going to be mad at me. And so I'm like making faces and doing all that stuff. Nothing worked. He just kept crying more and more. The closer I was to him, he cried more. And so eventually I just had to pick up the car seat and go say, Hey, uh, talk to my sister-in-law. I'm sorry I broke your baby. Like, um, did not mean to. Don't know how to fix it. So uh, that's, please do. Moral of the story is sometimes we think we know what we're doing, and we don't. I just want to say that for truth in the church. Sometimes we have some deeply held convictions that are actually not that central to Scripture. Sometimes we have some real focuses, and we get really our blood pressure rises, we get mad, we may even fight people about it, about things that aren't central to Scripture. So look what verse 3 said again. He says, For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this than to hear that my children are walking in truth. So what does it mean to walk in truth? I don't want to just have truth intellectually, cognitively. I want to practice truth. What does it mean to walk in truth. So that's your, if you're filling out notes, that's your first uh, bullet point, walk in truth. But what does that look like? What does it look like to walk in truth? I'm going to give you, I'm going to just kind of read a list to you and talk to you about them. And, and I just picked some basic ones, some very simple ones. The first five are going to be what, what are commonly called the five functions of the church. You can find them in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 46. Uh, the five functions of the church. So why do we have church? Why does it exist? For these reasons. So the first one is fellowship. Now when we think of fellowship, we just think 
making friends, that uh, our goal is just to have buddies and be able to experience life with people, have fun. Maybe I'll hang out with them as long as it's good for me, and then I'll, I'll maybe break fellowship with them if it's not. But I just want to ask you and challenge you, how connected are you to other believers? It is extremely easy to just walk into a church, especially a church of this size, just walk in and just be anonymous. I'm telling you, it's not a, it's not a feelings opinion I'm giving here. Fellowship is a scriptural word. It actually means partnership. Christians are called to invest in other people. You are called to invest in other people, to care for them, to minister to them, to be ministered to by them. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's a thing that you're called to engage in. We don't have the right to experience Christianity alone. It is a Christian principle to care about other people and invest in other people. How's your fellowship? Uh, I mentioned that one of the great sticking points for me when I came here as a really young man into this church was life groups. That's the first step I just commend to you. Get involved in a small group. Get to know people in a, in a smaller setting who can live life with you and you'll also benefit them. What about evangelism? So I, I'd say a few of them first. Fellowship, evangelism, edification or discipleship, worship, and then service and ministry. I'm going to talk to all of them so if you didn't get them, you'll hear them. So fellowship is the first one. Evangelism. How is your evangelism? If we, if we want to think about what do we need to do for the sake of the name of Jesus to make him known? If we feel like Christianity is on the decline, then evangelism is the remedy. And I, I want you to continue to invite people to church, but I'll be honest, sometimes we use that as an excuse to never share our faith. Christians, we got to tell people about Jesus. We have to tell people that everyone is a sinner that falls short of the standard of God. That no one can enter heaven apart from Jesus Christ because we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. We have to tell people that because we're sinners, the wages or the earnings of sin is death. That death is physical and it is also spiritual. That we die because of sin. That we physically die, but then we also experience the second thing that Scripture talks about. The spiritual death, which is separation from God for all eternity in a real place called hell. We have to talk about that. And then we have to talk about the good news of it. That yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, sin separates me from God for all eternity. But God loved me so much that he gave his one and only son to die for me. That's the gift of Jesus Christ. God showed his love for me in that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. So if I'm a sinner and sin earns death, something had to die. And that's why Christ had to die. Why God just couldn't say, ah, they're okay. I, I'll just forgive them. Um, Something had to die because God is a holy God and sin earns death. And so Christ died. And so Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning master over our life, authority over our life, that if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, meaning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it says I will be saved. Maybe someone here today needs to do that. They need to give their life to Jesus Christ because sin separates them from him for all eternity in a real place called hell. Maybe that's you. But Christians, we have to be about that message. I'm asking you to evaluate yourself in walking the truth. That's what verses 3 and 4 are talking about. How are you, or how you are walking in truth? I have no greater joy than this to hear my children are walking in truth. If we would ever want it to be true of us that we are prospering in every way, that we are in good health, and the whole course of our church 
is going well. We need fellowship. We need evangelism. We need to tell people and call people to the truth that they are sinners separated from a holy God and they need Jesus Christ in their life. So church, I'm telling you, you need to start making intentional relationships with people for the purpose of telling them about Jesus. If we're worried about the church declining, that ought to be a step. What about edification or discipleship as it could be called? We ought to spend some of every day in this. Maybe you have to listen to it. Maybe you don't love to read, but some of every day ought to be in this. This is the bread of life. This is how you get to know the creator of all the universe. How he loves you and the expectations he has for you. But not just that. Discipleship's not just you and the Bible. I said a life group. Get, get plugged into a life group. Find someone who is spiritually more mature than you and learn from them. Connect yourself to them. See them as your mentor. Let them disciple you. And then find someone who is spiritually not as far along as you and mentor them. We need to be involved in the process of discipleship. There is no person here, you may be, not be gifted with being a teacher, but if you name the name of Jesus Christ, then you have this, this charge put on your heart that you are a disciple maker and a disciple. You're both. We're called to this. What about worship? How often is your heart simply focused on the greatness and the goodness of God? I, uh, I heard a podcast recently where this uh, pastor, since COVID, because COVID obviously has hurt churches all over America and people have been away, and he said, uh, he tells his people that we're not rebuilding, because if you're in a rebuilding phase, then you feel like we're never, we're never being successful or uh, accomplishing anything until we get back to where we were. He says, I just say we're building. There's always been ebbs and flows to Christianity, Always. And I feel like we are at a declining point. But again, God is the same. His message is the same. And if we would not focus on numbers, but focus on worshiping God and just putting Him at the center of our heart and making Him the, the purpose for our being, if we do that kind of thing, then the numbers come. Fruit comes from that. But I also want to say this. Do you make it a priority? to gather together with God's people regularly. Now I want to touch on two things that may step on toes. I'm sorry it hurt your toes, but I'm not sorry for saying it. Sometimes we as families make so many things more important than God's things. I'm just telling you they're not. If we are worried about a culture of decline, it's easy to turn on the news or the TV and say, man, can you believe how far down they've fallen and I would just say, yes, they're lost. They don't know Jesus. What I can't believe is how far down we're falling. What I can't believe is how, how little we sometimes make the things of God. And so sometimes we put that. And then the second one is, because of COVID, now some people are going to have to stay away maybe forever because of health reasons for COVID. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about sometimes the convenience of turning on a screen as opposed to coming to church. And I'm saying this for a reason because church is not a product to be consumed. Church is a body of believers who need each other. And that means you can never get everything you want from a screen, ever. I'm not saying nothing's good by it. And if you're on vacation, you need to watch on screen, great. 
or if you have those health ailments, great. Glad we can provide that. Glad it's a blessing. But if you have none of those reasons, be in church. Don't just be in church. Engage in the fellowship of believers. See yourself as not just a recipient of the good things of God, but as a giver because He has gifted you. I'm not to come here and just be anonymous. I'm not to stay home and be anonymous. I'm to find other believers and pour into them and have them pour into me because the body of Christ needs each other. We need each other. And if I'm not focused on investing in other people, I'm missing something. So fellowship, evangelism, edification, discipleship, worship. And then this next one, this is a reason why it can't just be a consumer product. Service and ministry. And I want to reiterate, the things I'm reading to you are seen as like the given functions of the church. Like, why do we come together? Why does the church exist? Why do we have church at all for these reasons? Fellowship, evangelism, edification or discipleship, worship, and then service, or you could call it ministry. We're going to see in a second two people groups that we need to to minister to. But I'll just go ahead and tell you a little now. How is your service for lost people? Who is someone that you're caring for that doesn't know Jesus? Who is someone that you're intentionally showing the love of Christ so that you can hopefully tell them the love of Christ? And then what about believers? There's lost people, there's believers. We're called to invest in both. Who is a believer that you are specifically investing in? In fact, you don't have to limit yourself to one. You could could invest in multiple people and pour into the body of Christ. Service, ministry, what about prayer? How's your prayer life? So one of the good things that uh, we do well in our life groups that I've seen is we pray for each other's needs. Like there's people are sick, hurting, uh, job loss, uh, loss of child. I mean, things like that, serious things. That's what we should do. And I'm going to ask you to take another step. There's another step that we need in our prayer life regularly, and that is spiritual things. Those other things are good. God says, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. There's so many scriptures that says we need to give our needs to God. We need to pray for one another. Those are good things, but take another step. Pray for spiritual things too. I want to challenge every single person in here to have one person in their life that they are always praying for that needs to know Jesus. If we, if we feel like the church is on decline, if we wonder what's happening to society, why is, why is culture turned so against Christ? Why, why are they so against the Christian? Have a person you're praying for. Have a person that you care where they end up for all eternity, so much so that you, you weekly, regularly, even daily, pray for their salvation. What about holiness? How chastened is your life by the word and spirit of God? The things you say, the things you do. Let me tell you, righteousness is a foundation. And if the righteousness crumbles, what shall the righteous do? Unity and harmony. Church, sometimes we, this is where I'm saying we sometimes let our preferences divide us. Sometimes we get very strong convictions about things that have nothing to do about the essentials of the gospel. We get very strong opinions, and we talk about people instead of to people. We, we cause division among ourselves. John chapter 17, Jesus prays this prayer, really is his last elongated prayer in Scripture. And one of the key topics in it was the unity of believers. If it matters to Jesus then we ought to guard it. We ought to protect 
any disharmony in the body. There are reasons to go to people and have doctrinal conversations. That's fine. It still matters how we say them. But we ought to guard harmony. We ought to guard unity. So the first point, if you had it written down, it's walk in truth. Don't worry, my next points aren't as long. So look with me now. I'm going to read verse 3 again. It says, For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, how we were walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in truth. Dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. And I'll pause there in the middle of verse 6. So you can see kind of a topic here, right? You see that he's acting faithfully. So that's some of that walking in truth that I was just talking about. But it's a little different. He's acting faithfully toward people groups. And I already said them earlier, but, but notice them. The brothers and sisters, or more directly translated, the brethren, the Christians, the believers, but then also strangers. Caring for strangers. In fact, look at verse 6. They have testified. You notice that there's two testimonies about this guy, Gaius. Two, two things that people said. Look at uh, verse 3 again. He says, For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified. And now we see, look again at verse 6. They have testified to your love. So the testimony of this guy is truth and love. And not just love and like, yeah, I love God and I want to be loving and, and, and we don't maybe put any traction to that. He specifically says, brothers and sisters, so saved people and then strangers. So Christians and other. How are we at that? I've had some just really great examples of love in my life. So one of them, my dad was a pastor, and when we moved to a little town in Bevere, Missouri, 741 people at the time. I think it's less now, actually. But little little tiny town, and uh, and so we're kind of strangers there because my dad's a pastor. We just moved in, and uh, and so it's really easy to kind of feel like you're on that outside of it, right? And there's this lady named Wanda that she just kind of took us in. I was two years old, and from that point on, she always just felt like my grandmother. It, just amazing show of love. I also saw it with my parents as, as they got into ministry, as I grew in age, I got to see them just care about people. My mom, uh, who is here today, she never saw a little kid who she just didn't love. I remember her she has this expression. She says, oh, they're a neat kid. And sometimes I knew the kids she was talking about. I did not think they were very neat. But, but that's just the heart that she had for kids. Uh, they also had kind of an open door policy. And I don't mean to their office. Like if you hear that in, in offices, they say, yeah, I have an open door policy. You can come and talk whenever. No, I mean like our house door. Like, you could just walk into our house door. And I had lived here for a while when I went back and visited them. Of course, now, if I say to you, hey, do you have an open-door policy at your house? Like, anybody can just come in. You'd be like, no, that's crazy, right? No, nobody does that. And if someone starts to walk inside your house, you know exactly how you feel. And you're, you're like, reaching for a weapon. Like, why is this person coming into my house? And so I, I go back to visit them probably for Thanksgiving or something. And their garage door was open. So both the door and then also the interior to the garage it had a little screen door on there, not locked, anything. Uh, parents really cared about security. But, um, but so it's just wide open. All of a sudden, this guy comes, and I had been away for a while, so I know I didn't know all of their church members. But um, he just comes through the garage door, opens the door, and I'm just standing there. I think I just come out of the restroom or something, which was right by that door. And, and I just 
this guy just starts to enter their house, probably like 50-something years old. He just opens the door, kind of acknowledges that I'm a human standing there, and then just like starts to walk in. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have to tackle this human. Like, I, what is going on? And fortunately, I think my mom comes out and says, oh, hi, and says his name. I was like, oh, like, why not knock? I mean, that, that's, that's a normal thing to do, right? And so I'm not, I'm not uh, subscribe, or prescribing that strategy, but I am prescribing the heart behind it. I mean, we ought to love people. There ought to be people in your life. There ought to be believers in your life that you're pouring into and being poured into. And there ought to be lost people, unsaved people in your life that you're intentionally investing in so that you can earn the right to tell them about Jesus. And so walk in truth was the first one. The second one on your notes is walk in love. Walk in truth and walk in love. I'll go on verse 6. Look at it with me, please. It says, They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a worthy manner. So now we're putting some more traction to this. Not just truth, not just love, but sending out missionaries. Sending out people for the gospel. So look at verse 7. It says, since. Now, I circle this word. It is, again, the word gar. It's the same word as verse 3. It starts a new section. So follow me on this. It, it, means, it assigns a reason. Verse 6 they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a worthy manner. And so we could ask why. Why will I do well to do that? Because, since, they set out for the sake of the name. The name of Jesus. That's one of those verses that you just read, and I hope you feel the power of it. Why would I send anybody? Why would I participate in anybody, anything? Because of the name of Jesus. Because people set out for the sake of the name of Jesus. He says, going on, it says, accepting nothing from pagans. So they didn't, accept it. they didn't need to get resources from outside people. Verse 8, therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. So, so notice what it says here. In verse 6, it says, send them. In verse 8, it says, support such people. And then there's this really cool kind of phrase at the end where it says, so we can be co-workers with the truth. What's an interesting thing is that word co-workers, if you were to look it up in the Greek, it's what we get our word synergy from. So if you just thought of working together with someone, you have a great synergy, meaning you two separate are fine, but when you put it together, it's like, oh, that, that works so much better. Hear this. We can have synergy with the truth. Like, like we can be operating in such a way that the truth is more impactful because God uses us for it. What that also means is we can have disharmony with the truth. We can be in a, in a way with the truth that stops it. I already said that God is not the problem. The message is not the problem. The circumstances aren't the problem. Church, what does that mean? That means we need to be people who walk in truth. We need to be people who walk in love. And this final point here is we need to be people who support kingdom work. We have so many other distractions, so many other things that we can be passionate about, so many other things that we care about. Our heart ought to be for the kingdom of God. We ought to care so much about people who set out for the sake of the name that we send them, that we support them, that we do what we can to come along beside them because it's all for the sake of the name because we're worried that the church in America is in decline. 
We're wondering what's going on in the world. We're saying, man, the whole culture is behind us. It feels like churches are not as full. It feels like people aren't getting saved as much. It feels like people aren't getting baptized as much. Even the personnel pastor can't even find a a student pastor as easy. Like, things are not easy all the time. Okay, but God is the same. The message is the same. It's still just as effective as it ever was for saving the soul of the lost, redeeming people for all eternity, and the circumstances don't matter. All that it needs is for people to support kingdom work, to be all about kingdom work, to say, I care about the gospel of Jesus Christ so much that all the other distractions, even the wonderful things that we, we get from being in an affluent society, like, like going out to eat or watching sports or uh, seeing our kids in band or whatever it is, none of that is going to take priority over the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we could have revival. Because there's so often a decline in history, and then all of a sudden there's a surge back. And, and I pray for that. I want that. I hope, I hope that you want that. I hope that you want to be part of that. But we don't have that type of thing just by saying, I hope we see that kind of thing. Oh, I hope American culture just changes and gets better. It won't. They're lost. They should get worse. It requires the gospel of Jesus Christ and people to go tell it, who care about truth, who care about love, who care about kingdom work. Let's pray. Father God, I give you praise for your word. I pray, God, that you light a fire in each of our hearts. I pray that Christians go forward from here thinking specifically of at least one person in their life that they can intentionally get to know so that they can share the faith. I pray, God, if there's a person here today that they've maybe heard the gospel for the first time or maybe they're understanding it or ready to receive it for the first time, that they wouldn't leave without coming to talk. There's going to be a deacon up here to to pray with or they can go back to the connection point. But they wouldn't leave without accepting you as Savior, that they would admit that they are a sinner, acknowledge that sin separates from you, for all eternity in a real place called hell, but believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as sufficient for our sins, and they ask you to save them. I pray that happens today. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that we not be content to complain about a declining Christian America, but instead we'd see ourselves as revolutionary evangelists. That we would go forward from here with one banner, the name of Jesus, that we would set forth from here for the sake of the name of Jesus, intent on doing your kingdom work. I pray for revival, not so churches can be fuller, but so that your kingdom can be fuller, God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.